When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Listeners, I think we need to say something right at the very start of this podcast. Monday was very mardy on our part. There was three of us feeling very moody after that deflating draw at Southampton. And if the result didn't deflate it, then probably listening to the podcast did. So... I now vow that this next 40 minutes or so will be absolutely packed with positivity. So put on those headphones, turn up that volume, you're about to beat your personal best. No, you're not listening to Peloton. You're listening to Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated from the Athletic to Manchester United. And the architects of your grins with me on this podcast. First up, Manchester United correspondent for the Athletic, Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, why should we be feeling happy? Plenty of reasons. Football's back. You can't underestimate that. You know, uh, we've had so long without being able to go to matches. So just savour the fact, even if United have played badly, it looked like the away end was pretty bouncing, you know, they're in the stands having a good time. Um, so I don't think we can underestimate that. And listen, there's a few more days left of the window. You never know what might happen as we'll get on to. Yeah, we certainly shall. Andy Mitten, editor of United We Stand, athletic contributor, holiday maker. Why are you feeling happy? Because it's August and the sun's shining and still buzzing off that Leeds win and my brain's starting to erase the bad feelings we had on Monday after Southampton. And because within the last three weeks, I saw Laurie singing, all you need is positivity as he danced to the Spice Girls. And that left a really strong impression. And the season's young. Look, United are going to drop points. Um, every team's going to drop points. Every team's got their own issues. But I think sometimes fans, they're in the bubble of their own team and they overanalyze that. And Southampton was very disappointing, you know, but... We go, we go again. And Wolves, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Um, got the prospect of West Ham United at home in whatever the League Cup's called these days. What's not to love? People will be getting the money debited from their accounts for those tickets as we speak. So I'm optimistic. And we've got the Champions League draw as well. And uh, being genuine here, it's one of my favourite days of the year when that draw is made when hearing where Manchester United could be playing and can we get there? How big is the allocation going to be? Are we even going to get an allocation of tickets this year? So I love the Champions League draw and if United can get a win against Wolves, everyone will be smiling again. Well, you teed things up nicely there, Andy. Yeah, we're going to be talking Wolves. We're talking the end of the transfer window and potential incomings, shall we say it? Incomings at Manchester United and outgoings maybe, perhaps not. And also, of course, cup draws as well. Uh, but before we go any further, you mentioned the Spice Girls there, Andy. Now, 
while some people may be messaging their better half at closing time after coming second in the pub quiz, other people have us in their minds, don't they, Laurie? Just at the pub quiz, obviously having an answer to this. I felt like I wanted you there with me, guys. You know, you know, uh, as Andy's mentioned very kindly, that I enjoy a little bit of a dance every now and again. When the Spice Girls came on, my mind flicked to you guys, and I thought I'll share my enjoyment with you. We came second. You know, we were pretty happy with that. We won a bottle of wine, so that's going to get taken up uh, next week or the week after. Um, so yeah, that's that's another reason to be happy. I, I promise people smiles, and I'm smiling. Um, so I'm sure people out there are smiling as well. Right. Before we go any further, and I need to say. There's still a chance to have a 33% discount off an Athletic subscription to celebrate the start of the new Premier League season. That's a third off all the best Manchester United coverage and ad-free versions of all the podcasts, including this one. So head to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to get a third off of subscription to The Athletic. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Right. I know there'll be a lot of people feeling thirsty about transfers because there's less than a week to go until the close of the window and there seems to be a bit of movement and some speculation once again doesn't there around one player in particular Laurie fill us in yeah so wrote about uh Sornigues this week um although sorry I'm I'm pronouncing it wrong aren't I Andy Saul come on Saul Andy's given us the lesson already I just like the idea that we could you know have some kind of fun with better call Saul you know give him a, a late call up um in the transfer window, he's going to save our season. He's going to do things that um, you know no other uh, you know uh, no other midfielder can. Um, but he, yeah, he's, he's somebody that United have tracked for years. You know, going back to David Moyes' time. In fact, I think it was David Moyes that perhaps wasn't too sure about signing him at, at the moment um, back in 2013. Um, but he's come back on the radar again. It's not been a secret that he's been available all summer. Um, United are aware of that. They've played it cautiously. Obviously, they had their other targets with Jaden Sancho and Rafael Varane, and it does feel like they can kind of do one signing at a time. Um, so it was was expected maybe that it would come later on in the window if they did want to approach um, Saul Niguez. Um, but Saul. Uh, Saul, sorry, so I will eventually get it right. Um, Saul. Saul. Um, but uh, it it's not it's, it's it, from United's perspective, they need to make sales to bring a signing in, um, and they are. You know, people in the club are sort of uh, expressing caution over the idea that another signing could happen. That being said, there's certainly people working uh, on behalf of, of Salonigues that, that think something could happen. Um, there's people on the football side, I think, that would quite like something to happen. Um, but the reality of the situation is that, you know, it, it, let's be cautious on it, really, because, um, you know, United have taken a very... Um, tight approach to how much spending they're, they're making um, you know they've spread the payments out for Jane Sancho for Rafael Varane they're not going to go and commit a load of money now to a, a deadline day signing the only caveat there is that Saul Niguez is available on loan Atletico Madrid um, I've looked at the situation he's done really well for them I think there's an idea that maybe he's slightly dipped over the last year or two um, he's on big wages so they would like to save a bit of money on that regard so that's why the loan sort of appeals to them whether that would have to be with an option to buy at the end of the season or even an obligation to buy um, you know remains to be seen um, but certainly this that could happen and, and when I've looked at United's business previously you look at last window Edison Cavani free transfer deadline day 
Um, you look at um, other transfers that have happened where they've been there to do. Donny van der Beek was there to do last summer because Ajax you know, wanted to sell him and it was a, a, a move that made sense financially. So that's why I'm kind of not absolutely writing this one off yet. That being said, you know, there's obviously Chelsea involved as well. They're looking at the situation. So something could happen there. But just because I know, you know, the, the people that are involved, you know, it's, it's a transfer that I think Atletico would like to happen. Um, it's just whether or not United come up with the, the money. And as I say, United are, the people in the club are expressing caution on it and basically saying sales have to happen. And as we'll get on to, sales aren't exactly looking likely. Yeah, we will do, definitely. Um, on Saul then, there's two things about it, Andy, that are confusing me a little bit. And I'm sure people at home are maybe feeling this as well. I don't understand the loan. I don't understand how a player who seems to be praised every time he's spoken about is available on loan. I don't really get that. And I don't really understand why Atletico would want to get rid of a player like this anyway, unless they were they were sort of forced into it by a, a major offer. And also, you've actually seen Saul Niguez play, which is an advantage to majority of people who may have seen him on television, but not seen him live. What sort of a player is he? I've seen him score goals in the Champions League semi-finals against Bayern Munich and age 21. And his breakthrough season a decade ago, um was incredible as laurie said there are people on the football side at united who would absolutely like to bring another player in but then again managers tend to want more 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 and united have got to move players on because there's a lot of big earners at the club and that's what we've discussed several times uh, with saul um, he, he's top level um, and maybe He's not as indispensable to Simeone's plans. And Diego Simeone rules that club. What he says goes. So there's been times in the last couple of years when Manchester United have approached Atletico. They asked about the defender, um, Jose Jimenez, for example, uh, in 2018. And Diego Simeone just said, absolutely no chance. So if he decides that someone can move on, coupled with the financial situation at every Spanish club. I mean, the re the reason Real Madrid sold Rafael Varane was because they needed currency in the bank. That is it. That is the bottom line. They needed money and Barcelona uh, are even more pressed. But Saul is, um, has been top level. I can remember writing the following sentence about him a decade ago. In this season alone, he's played 18 games as a central midfielder, 14 on the right, four on the left, two as a holding midfielder, and one as a central defender. He's already represented Spain in five different age groups. So that shows his versatility. And as Laurie said, um, Phil Neville went out to Madrid to watch Atletico, looking at several players. So United, I mean, it's United's job to, to track the best players in Europe wanting and getting is is very different but he's a, he's a top level player and I think United's midfield issues really came into focus with that draw at Southampton because they, they were deficient and it became a major talking point among fans One thing about what you just read out there that really stood out Andy two games in defensive midfield we, we spent nearly the entire first half of the podcast on Monday speaking about United maybe needing some sort of difference maker in defensive midfield. Is Saul Niguez really the player? He's versatile. Uh, there's no doubt about it. He's. Um, Do they not need a specialist though? Maybe they do. And I was speaking to one agent yesterday about this and he's saying there's actually very few specialists about. There's very, very few players who could do that. 
at a top, top level. And the ones who can do, they tend to get the type of adulation which Kante has had. Saul's problem was he came through um, Atletico's youth system along with five other players and tried to get into the Spain team. But ahead of him, he had Xavi Iniesta. He had his own teammates from Atletico, like um, Koke and Gabi as well. So it really was um, Juan Mata was playing in Spain all that time and Sergio Busquets. So Spain could have Spain had like five different teams of world-class midfielders. Fabregas still around at that yeah, point. Yeah, he was. Well. I mean, he was yeah, all right. He, um, Fabregas was, was fantastic. And there's there's more probably forgotten um, some of them as well. Xabi Alonso, he was another one who was playing. He wasn't a bad player. <laughs> so that yeah. was Spain's gold golden age. Um, I can remember clearly um, Pep Guardiola being asked about Saul because there were comparisons with Lionel Messi. That's how highly he was rated. And, and Pep basically said, I, I admire his quality a lot, but you cannot really compare him to Messi. He's a great player. Spanish football is another great talent. So we've seen these midfielders coming out of Spain. It really is a football factory and it's slowed down in terms of the production line. Uh, will he come? Just go back into what Laurie says. It's United need to move talents on, but you have a demand from the football side where they, they would like to strengthen. Just to establish then, Laurie, um, we've talked there about his quality. Um, we've talked about the, the the chance of him being available on loan or available now, certainly. Um, but obviously there is the, the fact that other clubs are interested, which you sort of touched on earlier. But in, to your mind, a Manchester United leading the chase for this player, a Chelsea leading the chase for this player, is there anyone else that, that perhaps needs to be mentioned at this point? Any other clubs? Yeah, obviously, I don't know all the details, but uh, certainly Chelsea are interested. I think they've held talks. Whereas United, it seems like the communication at the moment is is not happening. So, um, so basically, it's it's one of those where people that have knowledge of the situation think that something could happen because of past acts by United, because of the fact that it perhaps might represent a financially sound deal, and um, because the pressing need for a midfielder might arise uh, even greater. Although. As we'll touch on, you know, Donny van der Beek was on the, the bench for the whole game on Sunday. So, you know, what does that make for his situation? And as Andy's touched on, Saul isn't necessarily a... He's not on Nemanja Matic, is he? You know, the, the height, for example, and the fact that his, his role is, is more versatile. And apparently that's what's actually hampered him perhaps a little bit with Atletico recently in that he's, he's too versatile. You know, we sort of used to say this about Phil Jones, didn't we? That he, he couldn't nail down a position because the manager could shift him around the pitch. Um, yeah, as far as... An actual move is concerned. I think it's just that it's it's there potentially to do. Um, there are other people that look at other situations that you might United might look at. Uh, Eduardo Camavinga is another one that is available this summer. You know he's got one year left on his deal at Ren. Um, United have in the past with Ahmad and with Anthony Martial signed a exciting young talent on deadline day for decent money. Um, so there's people that look at that and go, mm, could they do? Something like that again. Um, you know, there's obviously PSG involved, and there's an idea that perhaps the player um, would prefer a move to Spain. So there's there's lots of different factors, and it's difficult to uh, disentangle all of them. Personally, I love Declan Rice, so my you know that's my opinion is just that could United wait for him? For example, um, 
his situation's more difficult because he's got um, three years left on his contract. I think he's got. Uh, I think West Ham have got the option for an extra year as well. So even next summer, it, it'll be an expensive deal. And certainly this summer, it's been far too expensive um, to have a look at. But I just, you know, saw his performance against Leicester. He was, you know, magnificent. And and every time I've seen him, I've been impressed. And I think he would be somebody that would actually be disciplined to stay to hold he can run with the ball you know he's got energy he's got good tactical discipline but I think he, he wouldn't be that kind of guy that is determined to break forward into the box and, and you know score goals I think he's, he's, he's perfectly content to, to be a holder Okay that's incoming Zen um, we did do Declan Rice quite a bit the other day as well to be fair it's clear that quite a lot of people fancy him at Manchester United um, in terms of outgoings again we did it on Monday but we're going to do it again, Laurie, because you didn't have your chance to have your say and people are still asking questions about it. Um, so on the real-time section of the Athletic app, it's your opportunity before every single podcast uh, on Sundays and Wednesdays, usually the question gets put up from Laurie or Carl um, to say, does anyone have any questions for the podcast? Lots of people got in touch again, so thank you very much for that. Uh, Paul and Henry, amongst those, asking about outgoings. Um, the points that they raised really was, one, why do Manchester United struggle to get rid of players and two actually Henry listed in the last three transfer windows United have only actually managed to sell two players in Chris Smalling and Tim Fossu Mensa compared to say Chelsea who've sold eight uh, and, and maybe nine uh, with Kurt Zuma looking likely to leave at some point as well so um, Laurie can you answer those questions please yeah i won't take too much time if uh, you obviously guys did it on Monday, but essentially, because it, it does seem like a, a, a consistent question from, from readers, from listeners, we, we had quite a few, obviously just picked out a couple there, but people are wondering how is it that United can't sell better and there are people that know the club very well that ask the same question. Um, one thing is that wages are high, so you've got um, you know Jesse Lingard, for example, with Champions League qualification, he's on about 100 grand a week, um, so... You know the scope for clubs that would be able to afford that is you know not abundant necessarily. Um, Phil Jones is another one who's on more than a hundred grand a week. So you've got you know if West Ham were, were to sign them, they would probably have to put them as one of the top earners, and it's a difficult balance then in, in, within your squad harmony. Um, and also the player themselves would not want to understandably give up money that they are due because you know just because the club don't want to keep them around anymore so for example with Chris Smalling last summer I'm aware that that had to come down to a agreement between Manchester United and the player over the rest of his contract so then he could be sold to Roma who would pay him a certain salary that wasn't as high as um, what he was on at Manchester United um, so th- th- those are the kind of conversation that take place between player and club before a sale and now, listen, you can also perhaps point the finger and say to United, well, you need to be more careful with the contracts you hand out in the first place then. Um, and also, there's, you know, agents do have a role in here, in this situation. They should be looking, if, if they know that their client isn't going to play for the club and they actually would like to play regularly, they need to be working to, to get them a, a good solution. So, listen, maybe Chelsea have agents that are better at it than Manchester United, or maybe Chelsea are cleaner in what they want from their squad um, and how they should act. Uh, a current case, people are asking about Phil Jones, for example. Um, he, he's My understanding is that he's not going to leave before the deadline. Um, he's still working his way back to full fitness. He played in the friendly against Burnley. I believe there's another um, friendly that's been lined up uh, behind closed doors uh, for him to play in um, next week and perhaps other players. Um, so uh, he's one that clubs would perhaps look at and go, 
Phil Jones, England international, you know, won the Premier League with Manchester United. Is he someone that can actually help our defence out? But also they'll know that he hasn't played for more than a year. So they really would look at the situation and say he needs to gain his fitness. That's not Manchester United's problem, as in it's not their fault, sorry. Um, you know, he's, he's got injured, these things happen. So, you know, if he'd been fully fit, maybe they could have done some kind of deal like Chelsea managed to do with Kurt Zuma. I'm not saying it would have been a £30 million deal to West Ham, but, you know, it, it's, it's, that's a, an unfortunate circumstance. So there's obviously different factors at play in each individual case, but primarily, you know, the, the United players have good wages and the, the prices that are set, the Glazers do get involved in that. Um, they do look at the situation and say, actually, we would want this for that player. Um, it's not like a, a cast iron rule. You know, Edward Wood has latitude on that front. Matt Judge um, is involved on that score as well. Um, but they, th there is clearly also a, a demand from um, the ownership to get the, the top value for these players. And, and sometimes that means that deals don't happen. OK, I think that's enough on transfers for Manchester United. Um, but we do need to mention one thing, and I'm really sorry. I'm loved to do it. Andy, what do you think about the prospects of Cristiano Ronaldo joining Manchester City? I wouldn't like that to happen because I associate him with Manchester United. I think the Ronaldo situation is very simple. He earns so much money that Juventus would not mind him moving on. And I can remember asking about Ronaldo and Manchester United. Um, I was in Milan, so that was March when United were there. And it was just very clear the... The, the pushing here is being done by somebody called Cristiano Ronaldo and he will go to where the money is. So City could could afford him. Um, I think if he went to City and wasn't respectful to United, I think that would be a massive issue for Manchester United fans. You can see now that Peter Schmeichel has still got a massive cloud over him in the eyes of a lot of United fans because of the way he celebrated goals so enthusiastically for City. And a lot of United fans, just you just don't get it. Then again, uh, Andy Cole went to Manchester City and worked hard. Other players have gone there from Manchester United. Sammy McElroy played for Manchester City year, years later. Uh, Terry Cook and some of them found it really difficult. I think there'd be an element from City fans who would actually quite like it because it would wind some United fans up. Um, Ronaldo, he's, he's completely getting on, but his stats are still incredibly good. He's, he's extremely motivated. Uh, no, I wouldn't like him to go to Manchester City. He's one of the best players I've ever seen wearing a red shirt for United. And I'd like to keep those memories untarnished by him wearing the blue of Manchester City. And that might make me sound tribal, but so be it. The echo of Viva Ronaldo on the Moscow tube would forever be painful wouldn't it if if he was to join Manchester City so I promise that we'd make people smile I think we should move on um <laughs> Marcus Rashford he's back sort of Laurie explain yeah it was quite nice wasn't it this week seeing uh clips of him at Carrington doing running drills shaking hands with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer smiles on faces um he looked like he had a bit of a support on his uh left arm you know obviously that's where he's had the surgery on his on his left shoulder um so yeah it, it, it looks positive um Originally, it looked like it was going to be eight to 12 weeks out um, and there's certainly no idea of applying pressure to him. I think everybody concerned is just hoping that he gets back to full fitness and there's, there's not a, a rush, there's, there's no push for him to, to get back um, before time. Um, but th those pictures were, were quite encouraging and the, the information I have is that he's actually two weeks ahead of schedule. So 
they were looking originally at October. Um, there's a tricky run of fixtures, isn't there, in, in mid-October. I think Liverpool, Spurs, City, back-to-back. Um, I would still say that would be the ideal time for him to come back. But it might, it might be that he could come back in a, in a better uh, state than, than perhaps was originally thought. So, so, so it's like I say, th- these things can always deviate. But it, it, I think it seems like he's a bit ahead of schedule, um, judging from the picture, certainly. And is Edison Cavani likely to be available or has he got as many question marks to his selection as his Instagram posts? Yeah, it was a, it was a funny Instagram post, wasn't it? I mean, we know um, he enjoys you know, posting on social media, which is great. Um, but um, this one was in response to the Premier League announcing that they wouldn't allow players um, out to their international um, teams um, that were going to red list countries. Obviously, it means then 10 day quarantine in a hotel when they come back. Edison Cavani was sort of questioning this. So it sort of gives the impression that were players fully consulted? Um, certainly people that know Edison Cavani, they say he's you know massive patriot, loves playing for Uruguay. Clearly he got a bit of extra time back home this summer um, due to see family, which I think was a, a good you know touch by Solskjaer. I don't think he would have stayed if they hadn't given him that extra time. But now it looks like there might need to be a bit of dialogue over what exactly happens from here um, because clearly it looks like he would like to play for Uruguay. I mean, the only thing I thought was, would he also really like to come back and spend time in a hotel that's been assigned by the government you know, for 10 days? Um, FIFA have asked the UK government to intervene and so maybe there could be some kind of... Um, you know, sort of discussion there and, and something else comes out of it. But yeah, it looks like an interesting topic to keep an eye on. Uh, more immediately, obviously, he's not kicked a ball yet for United this season. Could he? Could he do that at Molyneux at the weekend? I think so, just because he's in training, he's sharp, um, and listen, he doesn't take that much time. But I don't know. What do you think, Andy? I just don't want him to lose too much of the season, in, like he did last year. He had such a stop-start season, and I hope that that wouldn't happen this year. If I was him, I'd also be annoyed to be told that you can't represent your national country. I think sometimes England gets stuck in this little warped bubble where it somehow says we can make decisions on behalf of people um, from other uh, other countries, and that upsets players uh, like Cavani. And I, I think the prospect of him spending 10 days in, in a hotel near Heathrow is almost um, non. He just he just won't do that. I just would like the situation to be resolved and to see him push in to be playing up front for Manchester United because, as we saw against Southampton uh, and, and with Rashford out as well, we need Edison Cavani. We need him playing. We need him scoring goals. We need the guy who finished last season. We need him right now. Okay, so in the middle of transfers, a preview of Wolves, general chit-chat about Manchester United, cup draw chat to come, there's a little surprise. Because this week marks the 10th anniversary of something very special at Old Trafford. It's time to rewind our minds. A decade ago, of course, there was still a simmering managerial rivalry between two of the biggest managerial names in the history of of the Premier League and after years of fighting tooth and nail, of arguments, of tunnel disputes and everything else in between, one team was about to deliver a critical blow to the challengers.
Ferguson-Wenger rivalry of Arsenal appeared as such underdogs as they do against United today. Loop ball forward. Looks at the ball, can't reach it. 150 up for Manchester United for Wayne Rooney. Here goes Rooney, other side. Absolute classic. Nani can clip it in. It is 5-1 to Manchester United. They're looking for number six here, and Park has got it. for Robin Van Persie, which he knocks in, and it's 6-2. Ball's on for Hernandez, and Rooney has found him. Jenkinson has a desperate challenge. Second yellow for Jenkinson, he's got to go. Two fantastic free kicks, and an emphatic penalty equals a hat-trick for Wayne Rooney. United showed absolutely no mercy. Arsenal have to take it on the chin. Everywhere is very weak uh, in some departments, and Man United uh, has, of course, class. And uh, every single shot, basically, in the first half was in, and uh, in the last 20 minutes was too very difficult. Is humiliating too strong a word? No, because you feel always humiliated when you uh, concede uh, a goal. Yes, 28th of August 2011, Manchester United 8, Arsenal 2. Um, I was actually working pitch side for this game and stood just in front of the Arsenal dugout and behind a very, 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 very unhappy Arsene Wenger. I remember Ashley Young appearing like the greatest player of all time, of free kicks flying in that never normally flew in, um, Wayne Rooney running the show. I remember Arsenal having a lot of injuries and a lot of suspensions maybe, a lot of players unavailable. They went out and spent a load of money after this, I think on deadline day as well, just to try and paper over the cracks. But what a day this was at Old Trafford. Andy, what do you remember about it? It wasn't just Arsenal who had problems. Darren Fletcher was absent for United. Paul Scholes had just announced his retirement and he'd be out until he agreed to come back five months later. Michael Carrick was injured. Paul Pogba was not considered ready. So that meant United's midfield was, was Tom Cleverley, Anderson, Ashley Young, uh, Nani. And it wasn't just a midfield. Vidic was out. Rio Ferdinand wasn't fully fit. David De Gea, fresh from signing from Madrid, couldn't speak English. And I remember Sir Alex Ferguson saying that David was having a terrible time as he tried to adapt. With Raphael out, Chris Smalling played at right back. So you had Johnny Evans and the great Phil Jones in defence. So the three of them were 23, 19 and, and 21. So 
Online, I can remember United fans writing off their own team before the match. Scoreline was incredible. The game was incredible. And years later, I went to see Anderson, who was one of the best players in his home city of Porto Alegre in Brazil. And he just told me about that, where he'd said to Ferguson, don't worry, because Fergie was worried about um, all of his injuries. And Ando just said, I always kill the Arsenal. And Fergie... <laughs> Fergie laughed at him. He worked out he played 12 times against them. And he reckoned that um, he, he was taken off because he was starting to, to showboat a little bit. And I remember United fans singing Anderson, son, son. He was better than Cleberson. Um, he, was, he, he was better than Cesc Fabregas. There were a couple of other lines in there. Word to that effect. Yeah. yeah. And um, Anderson had to explain to his girlfriend that what fans sang wasn't necessarily uh, true. But it was it was brilliant. And I remember speaking to other players who said when they lined up in the tunnel, it just felt right. They could see fear on the faces in of their their opponents. And it just felt good for them. Um, Arsenal, of course, were captained by Robin Van Persie. Sometimes football throws up the, these freak results. And as Wenger... Uh, said everything United struck went in but I also remember finally Sir Alex Ferguson speaking well of Wenger after the game which he didn't always do so the, I suppose it's easy to be magnanimous when you've just won 8-2 but he did he, he didn't rub salt in, in, in the slightest but yeah one of, one of the best games of, of the century so far Well you mentioned it there but Fergie was usually quite ruthless in his comments especially after victories but actually this time he was quite sympathetic yeah, I think it's unfair of the criticism in the man. I think that the job he's done for Arsenal over such a long period, he's kept his, his philosophy in the football they play, he's, uh, he's given Arsenal some fantastic entertaining players, he's always sold well, which has always helped the Arsenal coffers. And you know, maybe people forget these things because we're in a terrible cynical world now. And when you lose a few games, you know, the judge is out and uh, we see managers going early season many, many times over the past years, uh, unfairly, and it keeps on going. To that effect, Laurie, was this the game that ended the Ferguson-Wenger rivalry? That's kind of what I was thinking, actually, then, when um, Andy was speaking, because, you know, uh, sort of that kind of friendship or that kind of offering of, of kind of cordiality by Ferguson after the game, it obviously showed that he wasn't that fussed by Arsenal anymore. He didn't think they were a threat because... The, when he was his most venomous was when Arsenal were at their best and he, he realised he needed to go into bat for United and he needed it to be confrontational and competitive. That was kind of like a pat on the head afterwards and I think he was a bit you know bashful about the scoreline but yeah, I, I think that was... I'm looking actually at the um, the way that they then went and signed players. You know, Mikel Arteta, Per Mertesacker on, on deadline day. They'd let Cesc Fabregas go. They'd let Samir Nasri go that summer. So it felt like a, a shift. And I think you can probably trace Arsenal's current struggles back to that summer, certainly, if not that particular match. Although I think that match was the crystallisation of a club on the slide because... You know, eight two has become an iconic scoreline, hasn't it? You know, I'd eight to be an Arsenal fan it was like the immediate um, sort of quip, wasn't it? And I think any time anyone's getting a hammer in, eight two is kind of that 
sort of scoreline, almost worse than 9-0 maybe. I mean, because 9-0 is like, you know, usually just an absolute freak and aberration. Um, you know, players have been sent off typically, whereas 8-2 is kind of like, you actually, you know, you've, re you've really been handed a lesson there and, you know, it was kind of competitive, but, you know, really, you didn't really have enough steel about you. And I think that was the, that was the question on Arsenal that day. There wasn't enough steel, was there? It was a kind of powder puff defence that, yeah, was affected by injuries, but had no answer to Wayne Rooney strutting his stuff. Um, Ashley Young, yeah, as you say, I mean, the goals were absolutely quality, weren't they? I mean, the two the two Ashley Young goals are unbelievable. I remember just laughing. Yeah. It was just like anything anyone hit was just right yeah. in the top corner almost, wasn't it? I mean, or right in the corner of the goal. You know? Yeah, I mean, even 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 the Danny Welbeck goal, the, the scoop from Anderson to lift it over the Arsenal defence was outrageous. Everything came off. Exactly. And the, the nanny yeah. goal actually reminded me of, um, the, you know, the John O'Shea goal where at Highbury where he's through on goal and it's it's the 4-2 game when they're in the black kits and he kind of chips it and it's just an outrageous finish that really kind of rubs salt that, in the wounds. That goal, right, the celebration is the most confusing piece of television I think I've ever seen because <laughs> it cuts to John O'Shea's face and there's almost this sense of like, it, it looked like he was like protesting <laughs> that he'd scored this outrageous goal and you're like, oh, they, have they like ruled it out? And it was He was actually so confused at what he'd just done that he basically put everyone off watching it on the TV who thought that he was offside or there'd been a foul in the build-up or something. And, and Nanny's celebration for the 8-2 was kind of the opposite, really, wasn't it? It was very much, I mean, savouring this moment, arms outstretched, you know, looking up to the sky. Um, I mean, the other thing that always stands in my mind is, is the Rooney free kicks where... Ashley Young is. Does he get an assist for both of those? Yeah, the, the most pointless kind of shuffle to the side on both occasions because Rooney just pings it in the top corner. I mean, to be fair, the second one I suppose does perhaps make Wojciech Szczesny sort of step to his left a little bit, and, and you know he gets the the whip into the far corner. But no, a, a, like a really special day for Manchester United, certainly, and a really dark day for Arsenal. When I work for the Premier League now, doing the the reporting, you sit just to the side of the dugouts these days, and, and COVID's changed a lot of things as well. But back then, you literally would stand in the Arsenal dugout, literally right in front of where the coaches or the away dugout, obviously the Arsenal dugout on that occasion. And the thing that sticks in my mind about that second half was that they didn't say anything. So normally, you'd hear all sorts being said, like you know, a lot that you could never probably repeat, to be honest, but you'd hear tactical plays, you'd hear substitutions being discussed, you'd hear cries of anger, shouts of excitement if, if they'd scored or whatever it might be. I just remember it being deathly silent. There was nothing. It was almost like just an acceptance that what was happening was happening. Um, it, it was it was odd, wasn't it, Laurie? What, what was the... I'm really intrigued that, I mean, such a front row seat for that, that game. What, what was the United fans' reaction? I mean, was, was Wenger getting pelters or were they kind of like a bit, let's just actually leave off because he's getting enough of a, a battering on, his, on the pitch? Probably, yeah. I mean, I, it's 10 years ago. I don't remember exactly. Nothing really sticks in my mind about that, but there was definitely sort of a change amongst Manchester United fans' attitude towards Wenger as well. There'd obviously been quite a lot of uh, a vitriol between the clubs and a lot of... A lot of that went Arsene Wenger's way from the fans as well. Some of the chants crossed the line, undoubtedly. Um, but there was a period. Do you remember him walking up into the crowd as well and sort of putting his arms out, <laughs> stood behind the dugouts, if to say, what am I supposed to do after he was sent off? <laughs> I think that maybe was a turning point with Manchester United fans where they sort of said, I quite like this guy, actually. He's all right, isn't he? We can we can laugh with him now rather than just shouting at him. But it was a bit of a sorry sight, that, wasn't it? It was a bit like you've, you've been really disregarded there, Wenger. It's going to be sh yeah. shunted off into the stands. <laughs> And, yeah. yeah, but it wasn't. I don't remember that being like a really unpleasant atmosphere around that. It was like sort of laughing with him almost. That 
Um, he was sort of making his point. I've been sent off. I'm stood in the stand. What else do you want me to do? Sort of thing. And it's like, well, you need to walk all the way down the touchline into the tunnel and, and go up that way, really. Andy, do you, do you think that was the end then of the Wenger-Fergie rivalry in, in its truest form? I think that was the year that Manchester City genuinely arrived. Um, they beaten Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. And that was a real watershed moment. So you saw a fading Arsenal. Uh, Chelsea had obviously already been, been established and Manchester City had just gone right past Arsenal as well. So for a long time, Arsenal were a team who seemed to underachieve by only reaching Champions League football each year. And eventually fans got tired of that and they wanted Wenger out. Um, Wenger completely overachieved with Arsenal. They were playing at Highbury, capacity 38,000. It was a tiny ground and he pushed them and pushed them to become a great, great team, which in turn helped Manchester United to be a great team because United were being pushed by Arsenal. I remember uh, Wenger as being one of the greats. I really do. I didn't always agree with him. I didn't have to agree with him. I can remember some United fans getting completely riled by him. I remember 2002 being on a, a European away trip in, in Cyprus and one United fan. Uh, I remember his name, John Taylor, just saying, I hate that man. I despise that man. So Wenger had really got underneath the skin of Manchester United fans, but he's a great manager. He's a truly great manager. And I think history will remember him um, incredibly well, but he was overseeing uh, a fading force. And since he's gone, Arsenal have faded even more. Didn't have any sympathy for him as I left the ground that day, um, having watched Manchester United put, put eight pass in there. So cup draws, we're at that stage of the season already where Manchester United learn their opponents in different competitions and we find out that it's happened again. Manchester United have drawn the team who are currently top of the Premier League in the League Cup, Andy Mitten. Your words before, or your word before, was simple. Jesus. United get pretty uninspiring cup draws, whereas Manchester City get like Port Vale or Wickham or really small teams all the time. United get home draws against Derby, Wolves, Portsmouth, Derby, Derby, Wolves, Wolves, Wolves. Derby, Reading, Reading, Derby, Wolves. Um, so I, I, I like interesting away games and the League Cup is one competition. Why can't we get? I'm not even checked if Millwall are still in it. But a forest green away. I know Barrow are out because Villa beat them the other day. But as a football fan, I like to know, I like to go to new grounds. I like to go to to new stadiums. And David Moyes has done a very very good job at, at West Ham. And I watched bits of the game against Leicester, and I just thought this is a club. They're really onto something here. Sixty thousand people. I mean, West Ham getting sixty thousand. Such a sentence would have been unheard of a decade ago. But Potentially, they could become a powerhouse as well. still think United will be favourites, and I also think the League Cup should be taken very seriously. Manchester United need trophies and keep getting knocked out of this competition at the semi-final stage by, by Manchester City. You keep winning this competition, but you know, beat West Ham 
Um, played in the FA Cup last year as well, I think. And I know Declan Rice had, had definitely impressed Manchester United in a couple of the games he played at Old Trafford. But is it a completely inspiring draw? No, no, it's not. It's it's a it, it's a league cup. Well, let's hope for better in the Champions League draw. Now, some people listening to this will be still waiting for the Champions League draw. Some listening to this will already know who Manchester United have got. As we sit here now, of course, we don't know. So, Laurie, what would represent an inspiring Champions League draw for you? I I like it when United get good teams. You know, it's about tough teams. Yeah. I do as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last... that's what you want to be in the competition for, isn't it? Exactly. And listen, you're going to face them at some point. Why not in the group stage? Play the best, beat the best. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they started like a house on fire last season. You know, go to Paris, win two one, beat Leipzig five nil. Um, it looked all settled, didn't it? And then. Basic Chateau happened. I think I've said that right. Um, and, you know, it all sort of fell apart. I'm not going to correct you on that one. <laughs> I think I've sort of stuttered a bit there. but You we'll... said it quickly with confidence. Exactly. You can't question that. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, so I actually quite like it when it's, it's... And particularly now that fans are back, you want to go to venues that have got intensity, that have got a real big support behind them. And, that you know, that's, that's what they play football for, to be on the stage and have all the eyes of the world watching them. So, um, yeah, I'm looking at the pots here. You know, you can get a really tough group. You know, you've got AC Milan there in, in pot four. Um, you've got Wolfsburg in pot four, not a, not a, not a bad side. Um, I wouldn't mind a place that United haven't been to before. Obviously, I'm hoping to be able to, to get to some of these places. Um, so, you know, from a purely selfish point of view, um, I'd quite like to, to visit, you know, places that I've not been before. Um Maybe Donetsk isn't high up on my list. I don't know if that would be in Kiev anyway. Um, although I've seen, as we were discussing off air, uh, Sharif Tiraspol, um, you know, famous uh, Moldovan, or are they not Moldovan team? Um, I've been to Chisinau, the capital of Moldova, before. Had a nice time there. So, you know, let's let's go back there. Um, but no, I think if, if United could get, you know, perhaps one one really proper European team and then a couple of, of kind of perhaps newer teams or, or, or teams that we haven't played in, in a long time, I think that'd be quite a nice draw because really they need to be progressing from the group this time. Um, that would be a mark of, you know, progress for Solskjaer. I don't think he can really, um, I don't think fans can be happy with, you know, exiting at the group stage again. I think that would be a really black mark against United. Andy, you want to go somewhere where the sun's shining like the Spanish countryside that I can see in the back of your Zoom shot at the moment, surely? I like to go to new places, but what Laurie said about getting through the group stage is the bottom line. There's no excuses this year. And that RB game, I know we keep saying we'll never mention it again, but it was a major disappointment uh, from last year. I'm just looking at the teams that United can get. And I like to go to new places. Um, Atalanta, for example, I'd love to go to Bergamo, but I'm also looking at the notes I've got next to them. Uh, no away fans, quarantine required. No away fans, fine. Quarantine to be discussed. So it's still pretty complicated. I'd love the idea of Manchester United fans being able to go in their thousands, couple of thousands, to a European away game to see their team because the, the, the draw was tough last year, but Paris, Istanbul, Leipzig, they were great places. And look at where else United were drawn. San Sebastian, Granada. Granada would have been absolutely perfect for a European uh, away trip. Rome, last year really was an amazing season for the places where United uh, went to. Um, Moldova, yet yeah, to be very interesting. Uh, Besiktas, the atmosphere there. I think a lot of United players who played there 11 years ago would say that's the loudest atmosphere they ever played in their entire career. Actually, that would probably be my pick. Cause I, you know, the Istanbul last 
season could have happened. We didn't get to go. I've never been to Istanbul, so again, purely selfish. And also, it's a great city. It's a great it, place. It came up in a pub quiz last night. That was one of the questions. You know, which is the third biggest team in Istanbul? And it was one of those quickest buzz arounds, and I wasn't quick enough. So I'm sorry. I have to hold my hands up. And I've remembered that there was actually another question that came up that was quite apt. You have to do, uh, you have to put stuff in order really quickly. And it was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's name, spelled you know in like three letters at a time in each um, segment. Um, again, I wasn't fastest finger. I write his name every day, and I wasn't fastest finger. I got it right. O L E. Sure, that would be quite easy, wouldn't it? <laughs> You've got a few S's and K's and J's in there as well, Ian. So. It is a trickier one than it might sound when it's got it written down. It's all broken up. It's a good round, though. Quickest, fast, fast missing. So a professional football writer couldn't spell the manager's name, who he spells every single day, quicker than anyone else yeah. in the establishment. Well, there was one, I think there was one team, one team that was quicker. I think it might have been Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's son or something. I don't know. He lives around this way. so Istanbul's a great place to watch football. The atmosphere is unrivaled at the moment. It's on the UK red list. So if that doesn't change, I'll be saying I don't want to go there. But it's a top city. I went there last year when we were allowed to go there. For that defeat, a team I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. I'll go with your previous Besiktasar here. And and that was another low point of last season. That was the worst goal Manchester United conceded last year. Um, empty stadium apart from 300 home fans who really made a difference actually they were just singing non-stop and I remember walking into an empty press room afterwards thinking this isn't quite right because everything was being done digitally and the the official steered me into there and Ollie walked through and I expected him to be gutted and he just saw me and went what are you doing here and I'm like, well, believe it or not, I've come to ask you questions about that game. And it, 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 it was it was quite light. And then obviously the question started because it was it was a horrendous performance. But if fans are allowed in, Besiktas's ground is brilliant. It's right in the centre. It's right where I just got ripped off by a taxi drive when I, I, I got into Istanbul last year. But we again, we, we just don't know in terms of how COVID's going to affect it. But let's um f- fingers crossed we we get somewhere uh new to to play we'll find out in due course won't we and a lot of people listening to this will be like why are they going on about Besiktas we've, we've, we've drawn Atalanta oh they mentioned Atalanta actually um so yeah enjoy the Champions League draw later especially you Andy as you plot your little trips across Europe very nice work Right, just time then for some listener questions to finish us off and we still need to preview Wolves of course so I think this is my favourite question on the real the real time section of the Athletic app. It's from Thomas. Does everyone hate playing Wolves or is it just me? There's something about Manchester United playing Wolves that just makes you go, why is that, Laurie? It's the low block, isn't it? It's the fact that, you know, under Nuno Espirito Santo, Wolves typically, you know, were, were quite happy to sit back and then break at speed. So, and United aren't very good at breaking down. Uh, you know, a couple of lines. I, I just of can't remember anything good happening against Wolves. It's, Has anything good happened? Rashford's last-minute winner was pretty good last season. Oh yeah, wasn't that's it? a good one. Um, but no fans, so it, it, it kind of loses a little bit of its impact because you know, really, that should be a scene of bedlam in the stands, shouldn't it? People falling over each other, and it felt at that point, particularly 29th of December, that um, you know, United were, were going top, weren't they, around that time? So it felt like a real charge for the title. So that that perhaps stands out. And, and listen, last season, last game of the season, away, you know, Ollie fielded some. Uh, some kids, Anthony Alanga scored True. a really good header. So, a crumb. So, you there. just named the two games from last season. Yeah. Totally killed my point. Thanks, Laurie. <laughs> no, but then you look at, right, I mean, 
one. Actually, I remember I was at, um, I think Andy's going to touch on this point, but at Molyneux, the away fans are obviously stretched out along that bottom tier, aren't they? And it's, it's really difficult to kind of get an atmosphere going. And that was one of my away matches when I was growing up um, was in 2004, January, when Kenny Miller scored the only goal. Um, and that was around the time that I think Rio then got banned for, for a long time and it just felt really dispiriting because it was like United are actually not very good anymore. You know, it was that time, that period where they didn't win the title for three years and, and that match particularly sticks out for me in that it was just a really drab affair. Diego Forland came on and it was, you know, around the time that he was having these difficulties. So, yeah, I mean, Tom H on our Real Time app, you're not alone. You know, I think other people do have uh, a little bit of sadness when United play Wolves. But listen, it's a new manager in charge. Maybe they'll be be more progressive. You, you've got a fancy United going there and winning that game. They, they need to be doing so to, to be genuine title contenders. Well, yeah, they need to bounce back after the, the game against Southampton, don't they? Andy, Wolves, to me, I know obviously it's been undone now by those two matches last season, but rather than Rashford and Langer, it feels far more like Kenny Miller, like a like a, a boring sort of chess game, nil-nil draw or an FA Cup quarter-final exit. That's what Molyneux sort of feels like to me. What about you? It, it's close to Manchester, so that's good. But as Laurie said, the away end is probably the worst in the league. It's low down. It's difficult to get the atmosphere going. And United went from hardly playing them because Wolves bounced around all four divisions and to, to drawing them all the time. I remember when they came up uh, in 18, they played really well. R- Ruben Neves played really well at Old Trafford and they got a draw. Um, I didn't go there until 94 in a pre-season friendly. In the 80s, Wolves' average crowds dropped right, right down to like 4,000 at, at one point. And, and they're a great old club. And Molyneux was a great old ground. It had the, the biggest terrace in English football, the South Bank at Molyneux. And I remember my, my dad's manager at a semi-pro team in Manchester he was from the area and he'd moved to Manchester to sign for Manchester United as a goalkeeper and he played in the first team he was called Gordon Clayton and his best friend was Duncan Edwards and they traveled up to Manchester together to sign for United and as a 10 year old traveling to away games um, I loved hearing Gordon Clayton's stories he died in his 50s but he said Manchester United are great and Believe everything that you hear about the history, but Wolverhampton Wanderers in the 50s were the best team in the world. And he just told me these stories, so I just heard about Wolves. And then, because of his United connections, he'd take us to training to the cliff. So my dad's team would be training at the cliff, and me and my brother would just be running around everywhere and going in like the dressing rooms and seeing this like wooden box and thinking, what on earth's that? Uh, is it like a magic box? Is it like you're getting it and you can go back to 1950? And it, it was a sauna. I'd never seen a sauna before. And that was only because of Gordon's connections with Manchester United. So people might dismiss Wolves a little bit as sort of new rich money, but they are one of the greats of English football. When Barcelona drew Wolves in European competition, Wolves were the, were, were the favourites and... As a, as a journalist, I don't know how you find them, Laurie. I think Wolves are really good to deal with. And they've got some old Wolves fans on the staff um, who were journalists. So, you know, it, 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 it's not brash. They've, they've done it in, um, in, in the right way. And they are going to change the stadium. So that away end won't be like that forever. But if United lose against Wolves, all the enthusiasm from my voice will just be drained, trust me. 
that is what I would say about Wolves, actually. I've, I covered them, obviously, for a few years, um, working as the Midlands correspondent at the Daily Mail, and that was a period where they got promotion from the Championship. I was there when Ruben Neves scored the outrageous goal against Derby on the volley. So they're actually giving me... And as a neutral, you're just sort of enjoying those kind of moments. So I, I'm, I'm going to say, actually, I've, I've been at Molyneux. I've enjoyed the football at Molyneux. Um, and they are a good club. But the fact also that the stadium is in the centre of the city basically you can walk there 10-15 minutes from the train station it's it's quite a nice walk it looks really the way they've done up the stadium now that they've renovated it it looks really impressive when you walk up to it um and I, yeah i do think you know you, you flip back to the 50s and, and the Honved stories um i've interviewed steve bull you know wolves legend he's, he's always been really pleasant to speak to and I, I spoke to ron atkinson about that Honved game and obviously he told me the story about him watering the pitch um, to make sure that it got nice and muddy so that Honved players couldn't pass the ball around as, as slickly as possible. Because um, that was the first game under floodlights, wasn't it? I think that was the kind of Champions League precursor. Would you understand Steve Ball, legendary striker Steve Ball? Because his accent was so strong that when he played for England, he needed um, a translator. So that the, the, the journalists, I think David Harrison, who's from, from Wolverhampton, I think he translated for him when he played for England. Yeah, Dave Harrison's a good guy. He still does the, I think when you check in, he, he, he's the one that checks you in as, as a media representative. Uh, yeah, no, I, I could just about understand Steve, but he has a very strong accent. Okay, just time then for one more question. Uh, this is Saraf. So why doesn't Ollie get asked more about not playing Donny van der Beek? Everyone is aware that a game against Southampton cried for a player like Donny. Laurie? Uh, I can honestly say that Solskjaer gets asked about Van der Beek a lot. Uh, certainly last so season, we. yeah, we get asked. We ask him. It's just that you got to, you can't ask him every single week about the same player. Um, and, and to be fair, last season he got you could tell he got irritated by it um, because he was thinking I've got lots of different players. Why is all the focus on this one player? That being said, he was United's main signing that summer and he didn't really play. This summer he's gone away clearly over the break. He's bulked up. That was something he needed to do to get better equipped to Premier League football. But I do think that the Southampton game, the fact that he wasn't, you know, brought on at all, he didn't start the game, is uh, it feels like a pretty major moment. He looked really forlorn in the stands, didn't he? We'll probably get into it in more detail in due course. Um, the, the one additional thing to say on it is that he is seen more as a rotation for Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes rather than an alternative to Nemanja Matic and Fred. So when Solskjaer's making those subs. He's bringing on Jesse Lingard to try and win the game, you know, who has scored in the Premier League repeatedly at the end of last season, rather than a Donny van der Beek. So, you know, there was a, a reason for, for the substitutions that he made, but clearly you'd think that van der Beek would have had more chance, would be involved uh, more frequently up to now. So it's something we, 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 are, we will address. Yeah, it doesn't feel like this Donny van der Beek situation is going anywhere fast, especially if Manchester United sign another midfielder before the end of the transfer window as well. So I'm sure we will get into that in more depth in the future because lots of you are asking questions about it and lots of you want us to talk about it. So we will do. Right, that's it. But before we go, I need to remind you, you still have a chance to get a 33% discount off the subscription to The Athletic at the moment. Go to theathletic.com forward slash manunitedpod to take advantage of this special offer. Thank you to Laurie. And congratulations again on your silver medal in the pub quiz. Although you should know, second is no longer acceptable to Manchester United fans. Thanks to Andy as well. We'll release you now to go and enjoy the disco in your holiday paradise. Very nice indeed. Not jealous even a little bit. Of course, we'll be back on Monday as well. And hopefully, we'll have a wolf skin or two to chew on. See you then.
The Athletic.